Okay, we're live. We welcome all you that have joined us and uh, that are watching tonight. Those of you that will watch this, get the podcast. I will say a couple of things. The newsletter goes out once a month. If you're not getting that, we can make sure you get it. We mail those. We're that old-fashioned. Somebody ought to have said, man, we appreciate that, preacher, for being old-fashioned. <laughs> uh, it's not an email. It's not a text. Not, it's an actual newsletter, okay, that you can hand off to someone else. Also, Andrew, if you've noticed, if you went up on the channel... Uh, the YouTube channel, he's pulling little two-minute clips out of stuff. So those are on our channel. So like this last Sunday, he pulled that little spiel I gave you about coupled together. It's about a two-minute clip. Uh, <clears throat> I talked to Keith. He's already forwarded that to somebody, and it really ministered to him. So you, those little two-minute clips is how we can get the hook. Anybody ever fish? Right? You set the hook right there and then start reeling them in, right? That's how... Well, just because a lot of times folks who are unchurched or not walking with God, they won't sit down and listen to a 45-minute sermon. But if they get a two-minute clip or a 10-minute clip, it might speak to them, and then you've got to be ready to set the hook and reel them in, right? He made us fishers of men. So uh, those are some things that are going on, and you can uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. It just keeps our information up as further on the docket. If you believe in what we're teaching here and preaching what God's doing here, then that's how that works. So let's pray, and we're going to go into some different stuff tonight. I'll show you a few things on this tablet here, and then we'll talk about some things, and then we'll get into some Scripture. Father, we thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for your love. We, we uh, understand what this season means to us here. We celebrate the Jewishness of our faith. We know that our Messiah was born a Jew and that he lived as a Jew, and that all those things in the Old Testament were for our learning. Uh, first, that we can learn, first that which is natural, then that which is spiritual. These, all these types and shadows, Lord, that show us your plan. And you know, Lord, you've put me on a crusade for the last 30-some years to restore the Old Testament back to the New Testament church, Lord, that we wouldn't abandon your entire word. And we just pray, God, that as we study tonight, Lord, that you will increase our learning and make us more like you when we leave here in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Now, some of this you've heard, but let me show you what's on this board here. Uh, these are the Feast of the Lord. So, uh, on the screen, you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of Passover, Feast of First Fruits. And then 50 days later, you have Pentecost, which was another feast. The Feast of Trumpets, then Yom Kippur, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the early rain. Some of you probably grew up in churches like I did, that sang songs about the early rain. We really didn't know what we were singing about back then because there wasn't much known about the Jewishness of our faith. It was just a catchy song, sounded good. And then the latter rain, the fall, the, the spring, and then the fall festivals. These are holy days or holidays. These are the only holy days or holidays that the Lord instituted. He didn't institute anymore. God did not institute the uh, Hanukkah. He didn't institute Christmas. He didn't institute Easter. He didn't institute any of that. that God, these are festivals here that God Himself set in motion. He gave these. And these are the definition of feast is set times, these festivals. So these are set times. God, and there's seven of them, right? God loves the number seven, especially when you're talking about the end of the age and prophecy and all that. So God, uh, which means the, the best definition for seven is completion. So what you're going to, what has happened, your Bible is built around two main themes. One, Jesus is coming. Two, Jesus is coming. That's what your whole Bible's built around. He's coming the first time to sacrifice his life, to be born of a woman, to live here and minister and then hang on the cross and then give up his life and rise from the dead. The second time he's coming for his people and that whole gamut of the rapture and, and the second coming all tied together and then he'll come back with us and that's, uh, he'll come back to the earth, actually, and he'll rule and reign, which is what Tabernacle speaks about. Uh, 
So here's what happened. And you can check all this out and, and do your own study. But Jesus has fulfilled all four of these feasts on His first trip. The first time He came, He fulfilled unleavened bread. He was without sin. They brought Him before the councils and everybody else. And the Bible says their lives wouldn't match up. So He had no sin. They couldn't, their own, they couldn't tell a good lie even and get them to match up. So He was, had no sin, which is what leaven represents that in the Old Testament. And actually, they were inspecting Him the week of that festival. So Jesus was being inspected like the Israelites would be inspecting their houses for leaven during that time. So he was actually being inspected during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, during that season, during that week. Then he became, Paul calls him actually in Corinthians, he calls him the Passover Lamb. He speaks of Jesus as the Passover Lamb. So he, he came, laid his life down, and actually... When Jesus was on the cross saying, it is finished, the high priest was in the tabernacle saying those very same words at the same time. Because Jesus died on Passover. He fulfilled these festivals on the very days or the seasons that they happened. And then of course Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection to eternal life. He raised some people from the dead just momentarily while He was here. But Jesus became the first fruits of the resurrection to eternal life. So he, he fulfilled that on the very time that first fruits was going on. So then 50 days later, Jesus said, I, uh, He got to ascend to the Father, and He ascended to the Father, and then the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And Jesus, a lot of people forget Jesus' role on that, because when the Holy Spirit comes, it's such a magnificent happening in the New Testament where the people have supernatural things going on and 3,000 people get saved. So there's, it's a, we tend to forget that what had to happen before that would happen is that Jesus said, if I don't go back to the Father, the Spirit won't come in the measure he come, He's coming on Pentecost. So that was still all connected to Jesus. So Jesus fulfilled all of these festivals. The Holy Spirit came after Jesus ascended on the day of Pentecost, He actually came on that day. So all four of these feasts, which is the early rain, that don't look like rain, but that's what I'm trying to say there. Early rain, that's the early rain. And the harvest in Israel kicked off in the time of Pentecost. That's when the earliest harvest began. And the harvest would run its course all the way through the latter rain over here up to the tabernacles. So the, the, the harvest began, naturally speaking, this is why your Old Testament is important, the harvest began on Pentecost for Israel in the natural realm, but it also began there for the church in the spiritual realm, right? Because that's when we see 3,000 people coming to Christ, being born again on that very day. What's interesting is the day Moses came down with the law, 3,000 people died, and the day the Holy Spirit came, 3,000 people were born again. The law killeth, but the Spirit gives life, Paul says. So here's, here's what happened. So Jesus came and fulfilled all this in the early rain. On the very days they've happened. So a, if I say that A is A, B is B, C is C, and D is D, right? In a lab, if I were in a science lab... And then I come over here and said, E's not E, and F's not F, and G's not G. I couldn't get by with that, right? Okay, so here's what we want to say. We believe that Jesus is going to fulfill these feasts just like He did these four. That's the latter rain. That's when He's starting to come back and finish His first coming, and then His second coming, and the rapture. All that's tied together. So the next festival up is the Feast of Trumpets. Jesus has not fulfilled that yet because He's not come for his bride, right? But he will come for his bride, and he will, I believe, everybody says what the preacher believes, I believe he'll come on the Feast of Trumpets. Now, uh, no man knows the day nor the hour, but we'll look at that in a moment. We do know the season. We're understanding that. We don't know the year. We don't know if Jesus is coming in 2023 or 2036. We don't know any of that. In fact, we couldn't, can't know the day nor the hour because the Feast of Trumpets moves around all the time. 
So there's no way for us to know the day nor the hour, but Paul tells us, and we'll look at that in just a moment, he said, you guys, speaking to Christians, he said, you're not in darkness like the world is, that that day should catch you off guard. So we understand God's plan. It's built around seven. You see that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That will complete God's plan for the earth as He brings us those who've trusted Him and followed Him. So the Feast of Trumpets takes place on parts of three days. So there's no way you could know which day because the evening and the morning is the day. Again, you need to read your Old Testament. In Genesis, the Bible says the evening and the morning are the first day. Us Gentiles mess everything up, don't we? we, we and so we taken from a lunar calendar, which all this is based off of, all your prophetic events in the, in the Old and New Testament are based off of a lunar calendar. In other words, based off the moon. Us Gentiles, once again, we try to mess everything up. We use a solar calendar. We don't use a lunar calendar, so it throws us off. So like Feast of Trumpets sometimes can be in early September. This year it's in the middle, obviously. This Friday's when it'll kick off. Or it could be in later. Same thing with Yom Kippur. I had my open heart surgery last year on Yom, actually the day of Yom Kippur, which stands for total deliverance. Don't you think I ain't been eating off that? So, uh, we have Jesus fulfilling these four. He's going to fulfill these three. And the fact that He fulfilled these four on the very times they were happening leads me to believe that He's going to fulfill these three the same way. Now, even if Jesus is coming on Yom Kippur, or excuse me, the Feast of Trumpets, we still would never know the year. We don't know which year He's coming. We don't know, we, even if we knew the year, and we don't, we still wouldn't know the day nor the hour because the Feast of Trumpets jumps around so much every year and it's parts of three days. Now the problem that people have when they're doing prophetic studies is they'll read something like the last trumpet that Paul speaks of. We'll get to that in just a minute. And then they'll run over to Revelation and they'll try to find the last trumpet. And then they'll build a hall doctrine. That's why we have so many rapture doctrines and second coming doctrines and tribulation doctrines because people will read something like that and they will not understand the Jewishness of their faith and they don't read their Old Testament. I've got nothing to say to you. I don't want to sit down and, and talk with somebody and try to explain prophecy if you don't know nothing about the Old Testament. If you've not read Hosea and what he said about Israel coming on. If you've not read Ezekiel, and if you've not read Jeremiah, Isaiah, and uh, Zechariah, all those things that tie together, you, and this is, what I, this is what turned me to be a prophetic guy about 35 years ago. I, I kept running into people that wanted to talk about prophecy, and all they would bring up is Matthew 24. And I, you can't, and I thought, That's, there's got to be more to it than that. And there certainly is, because a third of your Bible is prophecy. So for those preachers who don't preach prophecy, they're leaving a third of their Bible out to their sheep. Their sheep are malnourished. I'm going to say it again. Their sheep are malnourished if they don't teach the whole counsel of God. And if they don't use the Old Testament, their sheep are malnourished. I can take you to churches that preach out of John 10 every Sunday. I finally, I had enough, I had an audience with one that was, that would, I could be real with. And I said, buddy, your people been, everybody in your congregation has been saved for 20 years. Won't you tell them something else? Because that Bible has 66 books in it. And lots of chapters and verses. Do you think the Holy Spirit said, don't pay attention to most of that. I just had to put some stuff down. That's not how this works. The Bible says the whole world couldn't contain if they wrote everything down. If, if that's, that's what the Bible says in John, that the whole world couldn't contain everything if they'd wrote it all down. Well, if that's true, and we know that it is, that's not much compared to feeling the whole world. So we need to focus on that and know that God, everything in there is for our learning. Jesus said, Lo, it's written to me in the volume of the book. He was talking primarily about the Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't written when he said that, that it's about Him. Everything's about Jesus. So when you go through your Bible, be looking for Jesus. He's in Genesis 1, and he's all the way through there in Revelation 22. Now, so this week, we, my wife and I really focused because 
what's, hap- what's been happening until Thursday or Friday is these 30 days of repentance that Israel gives themselves to. There's actually 40 days, but the last 10 kick off on the 15th and run through Yom Kippur. Those are called the days of awe. In other words, Israelites, here's what Israelites faced. Now, I don't want to be religious about this, but I want us to learn from it. Uh, There's 40 days where they're supposed to inspect themselves and be specific about repentance. In other words, if they see things that they've let go that they know God wants them to step into, or if they've engaged in things that are not right, that are against God's Word, He wants us to turn away from that. So they had 40 days. Primarily, they wanted to get that done in 30 Uh, to make sure that they were right with God going into the next year. Because the Feast of Trumpets is the new year. Now, what you got to understand, this is beautiful stuff here, that God gave Israel another new year, right? They have two new years. So do you. You were born physically, and then you were born again spiritually. You have two births, right? Israel, they believe that the world was created in, in, Yom, in Feast of Trumpets that season. That's their, that's their new year. That's when they'll celebrate their new year. And then God gave them another new year when they were coming out of Egypt with Passover. That's in the Old Testament, but that's a picture of salvation. Just like when he said, Jacob, the, when Jacob and Esau were in the womb, he said, the older shall serve the younger. That's a picture of salvation. Your oldest person is your physical person. Your youngest person is the one that was born again whenever that happened in your life. And so now the idea is that this older man, which is the flesh, that he no longer gets to do his thing or do his will. Now the new man who's come to life, he exercises his authority and he leads the way following the Holy Spirit. We ought to give God praise for that. Amen. So that's the beauty of the Old Testament coming out to us, showing us the schoolmaster, first that which is natural and then that which is spiritual. So they're celebrating a new year this week. They're going to have another one. You celebrate, and I, you know, I, I'm, not real, I'm not going to hang Phariseeism on you, but we ought to be more excited about our spiritual birth than our natural birth. We should. We, maybe we ought to celebrate those birthdays. Because those other ones, I just keep hurting after I, after I celebrate them. Where'd that come from? Another year older, right? And so you, we, we ought to understand that all, everything God's doing has been showing us. The, it's not just a theological thing. If I can say this without crying, He's been showing us the beauty of His Son and what He's done for us. Ain't nothing going to happen in your life that's any more precious and beautiful than you getting a new birth. The, the Bible says if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul, there is no profit in that. So, we, 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 so they've got a new year coming this week and then they'll celebrate another one. And that's how we are. We have a birth and the natural, and then we get born again, and that's all this is pictures of that. Now, let me show you something else before I get in the Scripture. The other thing that's, that this is about is the Jewish wedding. The Jewish wedding, uh, they, the, the groom would come uh, with wine, and he would offer a cup of wine to the father of the bride, and if he's drunk, sipped from the cup, then he was giving his okay that he could have his daughter as a bride but the bride also had to agree to it so she had to come sip from the cup all that together all that working together so what the groom would say he would say I'm going to go back to my father's house and prepare a place for us so that's what Jesus said to us so he's our groom we're his bride there's a lot I won't get into all the Jewish wedding but there's a hoopah it's called the honeymoon chamber And there's where the bride and groom would enter after they've been engaged. So when they were betrothed, they were legally together, but it wasn't to be consummated until the marriage ceremony took place. So once the engagement was secured, 
then they were together, right? They, they had a legal binding there. Same thing with us. Once you come to Christ, you belong to him. But he's coming back for you to take you and I to the honeymoon chamber, to the hoopah, right? So what happened was the, the bride and groom would first go to the honeymoon chamber and that the marriage would be consummated. There were two witnesses, right? There are two witnesses. One stayed with the bride, made sure she had everything she needed. She, these were both friends of the groom. He would stay there at her post, make sure she got to the wedding safely. The other one would be there to secure anything the groom needed. And then that guy would stay near the hoopah. And when the groom would come out and tell him that the bride, that the marriage had been consummated, then he would, they would celebrate that. The crowd would celebrate that. The bride and groom would come out and they would celebrate. But they would stay in that hoopah for seven days, a period of seven. And when you go back to Hebrew, and if you have heard me teach on the 70 weeks of Daniel, you'll understand this. I can't get into all that tonight, but you can go back and dig out some videos on our YouTube channel and book of Revelation. And, and maybe Daniel. I'm not sure what all's up there. But that seven in the Hebrew is contextual. So uh, a, sh a shabua. Is how you say the word for seven. So when you read that word in the Hebrew, you have to f keep it in context to know because sometimes the Shabua is talking about seven days. Sometimes it's talking about seven hours. Sometimes it's talking about seven weeks, seven months, seven years. So the number seven again is important because what happens when the Lord comes back for us and He comes back for His bride the true believer, then we're going to go to heaven for a period of seven, right? We're going to be in the honeymoon chamber with Christ while the world gets plunged into great tribulation. All right? So, and I'm going to show you some things that will, if you've struggled with the rapture happening before the tribulation, the middle or the end, the end's kind of pretty much ruled out because you could pinpoint the time and day and everything. Then, <clears throat> But if you, uh, the middle, I can see why some people lean that way. Again, primarily it's because they don't use their Old Testament enough, would be my opinion on that. But <clears throat> the reason I'm sold concretely that the rapture takes place before the seven years of tribulation uh, is there's several reasons. But the Old Testament... In the Old Testament, the Bible says uh, that God, or Jacob's first choice, and you see that on the board, was Rachel. So when he come, when he come to get married, he come for Rachel. Rachel was the prettiest one of the two, all right? And the Bible is plain about that. He loved Rachel. Well, Leah, the Bible says, was tender-eyed. That don't mean she was soft and sweet. That means she didn't, she wasn't as pretty as Rachel, Okay. So what happened was, because Jacob reaped what he sold a little bit, right? He woke up. I don't know how this happens. I guess they didn't have electricity back in those days. The Bible's better than any TV show. What do you do? You wake up in the hoopah, because they already had that stuff back then. You wake up in the honeymoon chamber thinking you've been with Rachel, and it's Leah. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, you talking about what do we call that? Uh, uh, I forget the word I'm looking for. But anyway, Rachel was his first choice. You know what he had to do? He had to work seven. He had to work a shabua. He had to work dysfunctional is what I was thinking. You think your family was dysfunctional? You ought to read about Abrams. I mean, they, they did some stunts, right? I mean, do you remember when somebody had slept with their sister, Dinah? And they talked all those dudes into getting circumcised and then they went in and killed every one of them. And you thought you had a rough family. Uh, and so Rachel is the first choice. Jacob has to work seven more, a Shabuah or seven more years in this case, to get his first choice. The reason Rachel was not the tender-eyed one, she was the one that was adorned with all the gifts. The Jews were God's first choice, right? And they were given His law, everything, right? But they've turned their back on Him. And now, 
the tender-eyed ones, which is us Gentiles, because we didn't get all the stuff that they got, right? God has brought us into the fold first. Now, what's going to happen is, if I can go back to these feasts, uh, when the church leaves here in the rapture, then the world's going to be plunged into seven years. But that's the time that God is refocusing back on Israel. Paul said, at the end of that, all of Israel's coming back. So what does God do? He gets Leah first, which is us Gentiles primarily. There are a few Jews that believe. They, their eyes have been opened. But the, the, the rapture is primarily focused on the Gentiles. Then the world, along with the Jewish people, will be plunged into this great tribulation. And when the Antichrist goes into the tabernacle or the temple that's going to be built, acts like he's God, the Bible says that's when the Jewish nation's eyes are going to be open and they're going to flee and they're going to realize that they missed their Messiah. And they're going to start returning to God. You've got these 144,000 witnesses. You've got Moses and, 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 and Elijah coming back there as the two main witnesses. A lot of stuff going on there. And they're going to return to God. So after seven more years, guess what God's going to get? He's going to get Rachel back. That's how that's going to work. Now, there's a lot of things that you need to understand so you can see how all this works together. But let me give you another example. When David became king, the Bible says he ruled for right at seven years in Hebron. Not heaven. Hebron. And here's what the Bible says about that. It's interesting. The Bible says that everybody who wanted him to be king, the ones who were happy he was king, ascended and went to him there. The rest of the kingdom was left out on the fringe. After those seven years, David moved his kingship, moved his throne to Jerusalem, and exercised his power over the whole group. That's exactly what's going to happen. When Jesus comes back, Feast of Trumpets, for his bride, all of us who want him to be the king, that are saved, we're going to meet him in the air, Paul said. The rest of the world, they don't care, right? They're going to be left here to go through the tribulation period. But at, after the seven years are up, Paul, John said, I saw new Jerusalem coming down, right? Jesus is going to bring his throne and set it here on the earth. And Isaiah said, the government of the world will rest upon his shoulders and of his kingdom there will be no end. And he shall rule the nations with a rod of iron. Amen. Hallelujah. So you see how all this is tying together. Now, why am I saying this to you? A couple of reasons. We're in that season. We need to be reminded. God spoke to me about three weeks ago and said, you need to start warning the people. We've had four people in this circle that have had dreams about the Lord coming back in the last 10 days. Four people. That people that are not that way, if I can say it that way. They're not always having dreams. We all know people like that, that eat too much pizza. I'm not, I have dreams, but you know, some people have dreams every 30 seconds and they're not even asleep. But these people have caught my attention because they're speaking to me things that they, that I normally don't hear. And so we're there, we're there, we're that close. I believe we're the terminal generation. That's why you see that hourglass up here. So you see how the chat, how they saw, what did God do before he destroyed Jericho? He got Rahab out. And you know what she did? She hung a scarlet thread in her window, representing the blood of Christ that was to come. All of those people were looking for the cross. We looked back at it. But she believed. She said, I've heard about your God, and I believe. All her life wiped away how she, because she put faith in the Lord. All these things, what Paul say in Thessalonians, the Lord has not appointed us to wrath. So this seven-year period where the world gets plunged into great tribulation is when God pours out His wrath. And what I say to people, and especially people who aren't ready, I say, I say this very candidly. If you think dealing with the devil's tough, you get left behind and stick around here and start having to deal with God's wrath. It's a whole different ballgame because he does everything in righteousness. The devil has motives God don't have any motives. He's just 
righteous. And he does everything in righteousness. So if you think dealing with the devil stuff, the devil's in trouble when the Lord shows up. And he realizes it because the book of Revelation says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil has come down among you, and he knows he has but a short time. He knows his time's coming to a close. So the Lord wants you and I to escape that wrath. Now, the reason the rapture is primarily Gentiles is because the Jews have been blinded. And there's several reasons why that. One of them we should honor because they've been blinded for our sakes, according to Paul in Romans chapter 11. And so Paul was the apostle that was given the task of bringing the Gentiles in, or at least starting all that. Because your early church was all Jews. The, the ones that had believed that was following Messiah. Then Paul was raised up to start reaping that harvest among the Gentiles. That's why, let's go to Luke chapter 21. And let me take you through a few passages here. In Luke chapter 21. Uh, Luke chapter 21. Look at verse 34. This is a warning from Jesus, and he says to us, he says, but verse 34, Luke 21, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. He's warning us, because this whole chapter is about the end of time. And he's warning us, and this is one of my favorite chapters to explain it, is what happens in Luke 21, because if we get time, we may come back and look at some more of this. But he says, uh, for it will come on the snare of those who dwell on the whole face of the whole earth. Then look at the instruction, the warning he gives. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. This is the only time in the Bible that we hear Jesus alluding to the rapture. He don't expound on it. He don't open it up. He just says, you guys can miss this. You can escape this. If you, uh, you can be standing before the Son of Man, right? So the people who go on the rapture, the true believer that's following Christ, that's ready to go, we're going to meet Him in the air. So shall we ever be the Lord, Paul said. We'll be standing with Him in the hoopah. We'll be united, all right? So let's go to First uh, uh, Corinthians 15. Now this is Paul talking. Remember, Paul is a Jew. But Paul was given... The, the, the task of bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Here's what he says to us. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Everybody say mystery. mystery. So what's he saying? What's the Holy Spirit saying here? I'm getting ready to open something up to you. I'm getting ready to show you something here. He says, we shall not all sleep. Good news. Everybody's not going to die. And I believe, everybody says what the preacher believes. I believe we're the terminal generation and I believe we're so close. There's a good chance all of us can be alive if we live normal lives when the Lord comes back. I believe we're that close. And the reason I say that, I didn't get into that in Luke 21, but he said, he basically was saying before I read what I read that when Jerusalem is no longer controlled by the Gentiles, but goes back under the control of the Jews. He said, no, he says a few more signs. Then he says, no, that this generation won't pass till everything's done. Well, that happened in 1967. So here we sit. Jews now have control of Jerusalem again. We are that terminal generation. Then he says, I tell you, mister, we shall not all sleep. We shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. And that's where a lot of people get their, their theology mixed up. They read that last trumpet and then they go look for a last trumpet. I'll explain that in a minute. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised from incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So then this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, and that we shall be brought to pass as saying, is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Uh, up in victory. So he said the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, and, this, and we're going to be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. He'll share this again in something similar to this in Thessalonians. Now let me tell you what happens on the Feast of Trumpets. On the Feast of Trumpets, back in their time, 
depending on where the priest would be, obviously Jerusalem and maybe some other cities because the kingdom had grown, the, the father was supposed to get his family and take them within proximity of where the priest would be blowing the shofar. When he, he, he would camp out there basically for these, these two or three days with his family waiting on that shofar to be blown. When that shofar was blown, the father was to take his family and go up to where the priest was at and assemble with the rest of God's people. See what a beautiful picture. Getting us ready. Getting us ready. Giving us these set times. Showing us the reality of things. Now, on Rosh Hashanah, there are three main trumpets blown. The first trump. The last trump. But it's not the last one blown. The last trumpet blown is called the great trump. So Paul, him being a Jew, keeping the feast, then he continued to keep the feast after he was a believer, after he was born again. Not out of obligation, not out of a religious sense, but out of revelation. Because when he was born again, his eyes were open, and he realized that all these feasts were about his Savior. Before they were religious appointments for him. So when you go the last, I hate to burst everybody's bubble, but the last trumpet... The one that had, those are titles. First trump, last trump, great trump. The last trump is not the last one blown. So these people had to assemble up when they heard that first trump. They were the sound of the Lord. So there's several, uh, when they heard that last trump, I'm sorry. There were several that they had to assemble with the rest of God's people. So God has not left us in the dark. He didn't give us the day. He didn't give us the hour. And He's not even give us the year. But He sure has shown us the seasons. And He's gave us all kinds of signs. Uh, and that's how we get ourselves ready. I'm refreshed tonight. I'm, I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to myself. I want to keep this in front of me. Jesus is coming soon. I want that to be in front of me. It affects my... What did Paul say? He that hath this hope purifies himself. Keeps, he that's looking for Jesus or she keeps himself pure. Let's be honest. If you weren't going to have a test every week in high school, would you have really studied? Some of us didn't study no. <laughs> but you get the picture, right? There's deadlines. There's things going to happen. Jesus is going to come back. And Jesus warned us in Luke there, said, you better not be caught off guard. And Paul does the same thing. So, we're getting ready. The Jewish wedding, Rachel, Leah, these Feast of Trumpets. Now let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll, we'll uh, spend a little time over there and then we'll wrap it up here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is Paul, the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. Giving us some good information here. Let's look at verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13. Then we'll travel on into chapter 5. But I do not want you to be ignorant. Look at your neighbor and say, He don't want you to be ignorant. <laughs> and it bothers me when I hear a, a well-known minister get on live TV and act like there's nothing to know about the Lord coming back. It bothers me. Well, ain't nobody knows. I can't tell you how many well-known preachers that I've seen get interviewed and say, well, nobody knows anything about that. It, it bothers me that they're ignorant of that. But you've got a world and a church, a lot of churches that don't even deal with a third of their Bible. And a lot of them don't use the Old Testament at all. They don't know anything about it. And that's why I've been on a crusade for 30-some years to return the Old Testament back to the New Testament church. Now he says, uh, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant. Why? When, you know, Paul said in another place, he said, if they're ignorant, let them stay that way. <laughs> he was upset, I guess. Why? What's the root word of ignorant? Ignore. I want to say a hard word here to everybody that's around the world that watches this. And everybody gets these podcasts and everybody's in this building. If you ain't reading your Bible, you're ignoring the Lord. 
I'm going to say that like a good grandpa. I'm not mad at you. I'm just giving you a little heads up. If you're not reading your Bible, you're ignoring the Lord. Do you get love letters from your wife and not read them? You better not. I'm telling on you if you do. <laughs> just a little word there. Nobody has to be hurt by that. what I just said. Just pick it up. That's what these 40 days are for. Pick it up. You've been slacking on reading your Bible? Pick it up. You've been slacking on praying? Pick it up. You've been slacking on opening your mouth and witnessing? Pick it up. Pick it up. That's what this time's for. Don't you love repentance? It's the best thing going. Better than any Blue Light Special Kmart ever had. The repentance that God offers us. And it's new every day. So I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I don't even want to know it if you ain't reading your Bible. Just pick it up. Start in the morning. Start this evening. Do something. Get back. Do, do not ignore the Lord. He says, and indeed you shall, he says, but I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerned those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, the word of the Lord, that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Similar language to what we read in Corinthians. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. There's that trumpet again. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So that's how it's going to happen. And the great... Now, let me say a few things. God don't have to do everything He's doing. He don't have to get people out of the grave. He just... Their spirit's already in heaven. They know where they're at. Paul said to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. They're up there. He's going to give them a new body. But He don't have to do that. He don't have to mess the graveyards up. Why would He do that? To show the rest of the world He's real. He, he don't have to do that. They're already there. He just say, here's your new body. Put it on. Why is he doing all this stuff? Because it's not his will that any would perish. God's still trying to show himself by bursting those graves open. Trying to, it's not the ones coming out. They're coming out. But it's the rest of the people out here that you and I, some people whom we know that need to see that God is that real. That's why I think it's beautiful that they found those chariot wheels in the bottom of the Red Sea. It's beautiful. God just keeps showing up. He just keeps showing up. And the world just keeps trying to hide Him. Keeps trying to hide Him. But He just keeps showing up. Why? He loves us. And it's not His will that any would perish. And then He says, For the Lord Himself will descend. Right? He's going to come back at the trumpet. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be called together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. It's exactly the same kind of language that when David was ruling. When he went, this is kind of language of the Feast of Trumpets. All this. That's why Paul was given the task of opening this up. Because primarily the, 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 the rapture is going to be with Gentiles. And so he's given that message to us because Israel has been blinded for our sakes and they're going to have their eyes open in the middle of that tribulation period. And in the clouds, he said, we're going to be called together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. So the Lord's not coming back to earth on that moment. He's coming back after the seven years with us. Whereas Jude said, behold, the Lord comes back with ten thousands of his saints to judge. That's when he's coming back to be the judge, like we said earlier. So you got the rapture. And the second coming, they're separated by a period of seven years. But that's because the Lord's getting all his soldiers up there. And then he's coming back with us. And that's good news. Amen. And then he says, And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. You and I are supposed to be comforted by this. You're not supposed to be afraid of the return of the Lord. Let me tell you something that, that bothered me. And I got over it. And I want to help you get over it if you've not already got over it. It used to bother me to think about the Lord coming back and all the people I know that weren't ready. And it still bothers me. I mean, I want them to be ready. But here's what I believe the Holy Spirit revealed to me one day. The Lord loves them more than you and I do. So He's doing, if you're doing your part, that's all you can do. Because all we can do is plant water anyway. The Lord's going to do everything He can to draw them in. If they refuse, they refuse. But don't think that the Lord don't love them like you do. We don't have the capacity to love as strong as God. He loves that person that you and I may be concerned about not being ready more than we love them. And He's able to reach out to them wherever they're at. They'll have a choice to make. They'll have a choice to make. God gave us that free will, right? Right? 
and you have a choice. <clears throat> so then he says, comfort. So we should comfort one another. The Lord's coming back for us. Has anybody watched the news lately? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. <laughs> I mean, who wants to stay down here? They're crazy down here. Uh, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. What? Listen up now. He's going to talk to the world and us. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains on a upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. The world's not going to escape. Same language Jesus used in Luke. But you, everybody say me. me. You brethren, he calls us brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. So him and Jesus both said that. They said, you guys don't have to be caught off guard like the world is caught off guard. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. But let us watch, be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, those of us who are of the day, be sober. And that's what we're, that's what we're here to do. We're here to watch for the Lord. And he says, uh, for God did not appoint us to wrath, right? His wrath, that's, that's the focus of the tribulation period. God's wrath. He starts pouring out His wrath on the Antichrist kingdom and all that. The world gets under God's wrath. And He says, For God does not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Once again, look what He says. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are doing. Now, last thing. Run right over to the next book real quickly. In chapter 2, verse 1, notice what the Holy Spirit did with Paul here in the next book. Same group of people, the Thessalonians, here in Thessalonica, he wrote them this letter, now he's writing them this letter, the Holy Spirit. But notice what he had to do in this next book, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our, he just explained that to them in the first letter, right? He said, in the coming gathered together, and our gathered together to him, so rapture, Talking about the rapture. We ask you, not be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if it was from, uh, as if from us. So somebody had come in on these people and told them that the Lord had come and they'd missed it. Now, here's the problem. Back in those days, there was no way to verify, right? No media, nothing like we got, right? If you feel like, the, we all got this probably, if you feel like that the raptures took place and you got left, you're going to make one phone call. You're going to know somebody you think, I know they made it. Let's see it. Let's see if they... <laughs> uh, when I was 12 years old, I came home from school and that's back when you leave the doors unlocked, right? I just got off the bus. Nobody was home. Eerie. It was cloudy, getting ready to storm, black that day, about four o'clock. Nobody was home next door, either door. And see, I was raised to look for Jesus. I started thinking, oh man, have you, has the Lord shown up and I didn't go? Then I called my grandmother. No answer. This is for cell phones, right? This to how a wall, a phone on the wall, right? And I'm calling, whoo, I'm feeling the heat, right? The Lord come back and I didn't make it. And it was probably 30, 40 minutes. Then I had a lot of fear on me that day. And finally, uh, mom pulled in the driveway. <laughs> I knew it didn't happen. She pulled in. Uh, so he says, don't be troubled by this. So somebody had been feeding him this line. So he's having to clear this up. And he says, uh, either by spirit or word or letters from us, that the day of Christ had come. So somebody had come in on him, tried to convince him that. Let no one deceive you by any means, uh, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And we don't have time to talk about the Antichrist tonight. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple, showing himself that he is God. He said, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So he's clearing that up, making sure they're established in the rapture and the return of the Lord. I'll leave you with this thought. The Lord's coming soon. You need to be ready. Don't be playing around. Don't be goofing off. For a couple of reasons, right? Don't want to be caught off guard. But we, get, we got work to do. 
there's people all around us that aren't ready. We all know that. So let's share the gospel with them. Let's, let's share what we can. One of the things that's in the UN's prospective plan for the world, one of the phrases they use, you can't make this up, is peace and safety. What do he say? When the world says peace and safety, then sudden destruction. There's going to be a moment here coming, I believe, around the corner where somebody's going to start rising to the top of the world. And the world's going to start looking to them, him, as the answer. He's going to have some solutions. He's probably going to calm the economies down. The economies are getting ready to get worse. We can see the handwriting on the wall, right? And so this guy, but all that's getting set up for the Antichrist. Don't worry about it. God said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. He'd take care of us. But we're going to see the world start shaking and moving. And then there's going to be a guy raised up that's going to have answers. He's probably going to have some answers for the Middle East. Because that place, false answers, but they'll be temporary. Because that Antichrist comes in on a white horse first. With a bow, but there's no mention of arrows. Why? He comes in with peace. He lies to Israel and the world. And he's going to have some answers though. That's why the world's going to say, that's our guy. Right there. Going to calm the world down. Shut down a lot of these conflicts. Get the economy back. Stabilize. A lot of stuff that the world will say, he's our guy. And the world will basically... Start following Him. So let's keep our heads up. Let's share the gospel with as many people as we can. Keep living your life and start looking for Jesus. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank You for this moment. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for... Your Word is so beautiful. It encourages us. It strengthens us. It gives us insight. It rebukes us. We need all that, Lord. We need all that. We don't want to ignore You, God. We do not want to ignore You. We don't want to neglect You. Like, like Paul said in Hebrews, you are a rewarder of those who do not neglect you. Let us not neglect you. Let us be faithful. Let us give all we've got as we race toward this end of this age. And may we always give you the glory for everything. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. We'll give you a few minutes.